a listener production. Hi, and welcome to Broadsheet Melbourne Around Town. I'm Broadsheet's editorial director, Katja Vaktel, and the host of this 10-minute guide to Melbourne. A new exhibition dedicated to one of the 20th century's most prolific artists, Marc Chagall, has just opened in Melbourne. We're going to hear about the whimsical show a little later. But first, if you're one of many Australians who are drinking less than you used to, or you're just looking for a non-alcoholic alternative to switch up your routine, this next segment is for you. Tim Triggs used to love a drink, but the relationship soured over time. It was actually his young family and a hangover that spurred a change in direction. And it was an epiphany he had while sitting at the Lord Nelson pub in Bondi in Sydney. It's been eight years since he gave up drinking. And in that time, he's launched four non-alcoholic brands of his own. And what makes his brands a little bit different to others you might find on the market is he's still trying to help people get a bit of a buzz but without the alcohol. Evan Jones is here to tell us all about Tim and his brands. Welcome, Evan. Thanks, Cardia. So this is a pretty interesting story, and this is a time in not only Australia but around the world where people are drinking less, especially young people. So it's a good time to probably launch a few non-alcoholic brands, but Tim's doing it a little bit differently. Tell us about Tim and, and where he started on this journey. So, like so many of us that have decided to give up alcohol, it was simply uh, hangovers and the feeling bad that it brings that made him think, well, why, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? And he saw his family having a good time at the pub and he was miserable. And so, being a man of uh, creativity, I suppose, he decided to go out and, and make some drinks for his own. So, he, he started with a spirit drink that is called Altered and includes native botanicals, but it that that one is a little bit different to the other three, which, as you allude to, have something interesting about them that push beyond simply no alcohol yeah. and in, into a, a kind of feeling. Yeah. So Altered kind of was inspired uh, by, he was inspired by Seedlip, which was a yeah. really well-known non-alcoholic drink. He kind of um, worked with a distiller from New Zealand, I believe, and, yeah. and put together um, his own version of that. So that's the beginning, and then he launches three more. Yeah. Why are these different? Well, if you have been following uh, the world of non-alcoholic drinks, you, you you might have started to hear about these things called adaptogens and nootropics, but particularly when it comes to these three brands, this is what Tim is really talking about. So these are compounds that are not new. That In fact, for a lot of them, they're, they're quite ancient, um, and they have various effects on the body. The three brands are Giddy, Brewtropic, and Higher, obviously. If we talk about Higher, what it includes, um, things like Ashwagandha and Californian Poppy, which are over-the-counter supplements that you can buy in the pharmacy, and therefore they're calming effects. Right, okay. Um, and then you can go the other way uh, with L-theanine, which is a nootropic which is designed and has been known in the uh, university community for a while to, for concentration. And so it gives you an almost stimulant kind of, but subtle sort of concentration effect. The way he described it to you in the story as well is that all these ingredients are not going to give you the immediate hit or the immediate buzz that an alcoholic drink might do. It happens over time. It's slow. Is that correct? Well, I tried them myself and I can say that any effects from a couple of drinks are are very subtle, very much below the threshold of of consciousness. but the idea 
yeah, is that you slowly add them and, and then you can feel their effects over time. It's certainly not the sort of effect that you get from alcohol where yep. you knock back a shot and you feel it instantly. Yeah, and uh, it's not like these things are um, kind of also the equivalent of something that's been mentioned a lot in this area, CBD oil, you know, which might give people a sense of that um, relaxed or calming nature that you get from marijuana, but that that's not what these drinks are. Not exactly, although he did mention that there is an ingredient, and I don't think I, this made it into the story, called mango leaf, which goes into one of them, which he actually likened to CBD. But I think that the the difference being that whereas CBD you can dose quite highly and, and feel the effect, mango leaf, it's still very subtle, particularly in the quantities, because he, he's, he's quite honest that he doesn't want people to get blasted from yeah. these things. These That's not what it's about. No, it's just about giving them a little bit of a taste of something yeah. that might feel, yeah, yeah, celebratory or kind of give them a maybe sense of relaxation after a long day of work. So in terms of Giddy, Brew, Tropic and Higher, can you describe the differences between them? So Giddy is a wine brand that is different from other non-alcoholic wine brands in that other non-alcoholic wine brands often are just de-alcoholized wine. Giddy is actually using various ingredients, basically a recipe to create the idea of wine. So the Vermentino, it doesn't include uh, Vermentino. It includes other ingredients that actually create the flavors that you might like to get out of wine. Brew Tropic is essentially a non-alcoholic beer, again, with some extra flavors and things like that and a focus on nootropics. And higher, the idea is that these are some something akin to a cocktail. Right. So you've got a, or a mixed drink, a gin and tonic, and you've got a Negroni. And so you've got various uh, ingredients in there that give those flavors. So he's almost given you the kind of the range of, of what you may drink, um, yeah. whether it's wine, beer or spirits. Yeah in a really interesting kind of set of flavors as well. So yeah, so tell me about maybe one of the ones that really stuck with you. Well, I really liked the uh, the Negroni. I mean, I suppose that the difference being that a Negroni is a as an alcoholic drink is short and very strong and very alcoholic whereas this is quite long and quite relaxing. And so it, I suppose it differs from the alcoholic version in a couple of ways, but you get that flavor, you get that kind of orangey sort of uh, red fruit sort of flavor there. Um, and the gin and tonic was again, bright and easy drinking and, and, and very refreshing because they're designed to be things that you can actually drink, not just that you want to, you know, sip and then put one away. Okay. Altered, Higher, Brewtropic and Giddy are all available online. If you head to Broadsheet's story, the headline is Higher is putting the buzz in non-alcoholic drinks. You'll find the websites for all of those at the bottom. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Gadget. Mark Chagall was a master of modernism and viewing one of his paintings kind of makes you want to step through the frame and into his colourful dreamscapes, which kind of came from his imagination. You actually now can, in a way, at the Jewish Museum of Australia, which has had its gallery rooms transformed into a whimsical wonderland inspired by Chagall's paintings. It's a new exhibition simply called Chagall and it explores his paintings, his printmaking, poetry and public art. He was one of the most prolific artists of the 20th century. It's a really exciting exhibition for Melbourne. And we've got curator Jade Nikolai today to tell us all about it. Welcome, Jade. Thanks for having me. So for those who might not know Chagall, and I actually think even if they don't know his names, they've probably seen his works. But can you tell us a little bit about him? So Mark Chagall is someone we all think we know. Um, Certainly people who follow art and have a general interest in modernism will have a feeling for 
someone who came from Eastern Europe, was a Jewish uh, Russian artist. His early imagery is very much about figures floating over villages and farm animals and a kind of shtetl life, which is a Jewish term for a very tight-knit Orthodox uh, community before World War I. But actually, his practice spanned an extraordinary scope of work and time. He lived for 97 years, which means that we could call him a professional artist for over 70 years. And honestly, the only two other masters who would rival that length of time would be Picasso and Matisse. So he covered a time of life in the 20th century that ranged from Tsarist Russia. So when he was born in a tiny village called Vichepsk in the late 1880s, he was born as a second-class citizen for being Jewish. He didn't exist. He didn't have official papers. He lived through that period, ended up in Paris in, from 1911, the week that the Salon des Indépendants opened, which is when Cubism was launched and Paris went into ecstasy and chaos because no one could believe that Picasso and Braque could exhibit an artwork that was um, basically poor portraits that were disconnected faces and deconstructed and and confusing and everything we think we that shouldn't be represented in terms of a classical way. He lived that avant-garde life of Paris, um, destitute and delirious mostly from hunger, but really involved himself in that life. World War I, he returned to Russia, to his little village, uh, where he actually met the love of his life, Bella Rosenfeld. And as a Jew, he was actually not allowed at first to join the Russian army. So he thought, stuff it, I'll just become a real artist and keep working. And he really dived deep and um, really became the Chagall that we think we know. He did become involved with the Soviet movement and had an extraordinary couple of years working as a kind of uh, public art performance director, theatre, costume stage set designer. Um, Like many artists and writers, he became very disillusioned, of course, um, as the Soviet uh, vision started to take place. um, There wasn't much room for individuality and and, uh, unique personalities. And moved to France back in the 1920s. By then, he had a wife and a, a young child and really immersed himself in what that meant to be a Parisian artist. He tried not to leave Europe during World War II, uh, but being of Jewish descent, he was forced into exile in the US and then returned after World War II again to France, but uh, living in the south of France and really became a very French national hero of an artist. So just to give you a scope, he lived through these extraordinary historical moments, but also artistic moments. So he moved Uh, across different disciplines. He often reworked his existing works in various styles when he encountered some new form of inspiration. But I wouldn't say he was a signed up member of anything or anyone. Historically, one would think of a Chagall as um, figurative, kind of mystical, dreamy, floating figures. There's a lot of love and celebration of humanity and relationships and holding hands, which actually were more often than not himself and his wife, Bella, and um, increasingly becomes more urban. These figures tend to start floating above the Eiffel Tower and the Notre Dame and Pont Neuf. Um, and they they never really lose their dreaminess. I think there's always this sense of hope and this escapism. So let's talk about the exhibition. How is it designed? Uh, what can people expect as they move through? So we worked with a private collection from continental Europe where a lot of the works on paper come from. Uh, we have over 80 works on loan from them. 
and also brilliant public art institutions in Australia. The overall exhibition, in fact, is very much the uh, legacy and the creation of the most extraordinary exhibition designer and stage set designer we have in Australia called Anna Tregollen. It is Anna's third project with the Jewish Museum. She worked on the Merkamora and the Helmut Newton shows, and it's a completely different treatment. So um, working with Anna has been amazing. And she's really responded to the practice of Chagall and his work in theatre, which we weren't necessarily able to bring to life in its entirety, but through the exhibition design, we create the sort of theatricality and the drama um, that the theatre um, offered through his practice. Part of this exhibition as well is that you've got paintings by Yvette Coppersmith, the Archibald Prize winner, who just paints the most beautiful portraits. It is pretty incredible that not only do you get to go and see Chagall, but you get to see, she's ostensibly, you know, one of the most important uh, painters working in Australia today. So, I mean, what a great double. So double that's set. done. She, we have a selection of um, portraits from her and a few abstracts and a number of new works, which attributes to Chagall's uh, contribution to flowers and beauty. Yeah, how exciting. There's also some programming going on around, of course, around the exhibition. I'd love to hear a little bit about what that's involving. We have have coming up Saturday late nights on June the 24th, starting at 6pm to 9pm, ongoing family programs and lots of talks and partnerships over the next six months because it is a long run exhibition. So there's a lot to do. And as you said, it's a long exhibition. It's on until December 10, but there'll be plenty of ways to kind of dip in and out over that time. Thank you so much for coming in, Jade. Thanks. That's it for today. You can stay completely up to date at any moment of any day at broadsheet.com.au or on Instagram at broadsheet underscore mel. I'll be back again on Friday, same time, same place. Chat then. Listener.